I'm Sabrina, and you're listening to Let's Talk About It. So today on the show, we have Nicholas Flanders, who is one of the leading founders in the eco startup space. Along with his co-founders, he built 12. 12 is a company that uses carbon transformation technology. And what that means is they're basically taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, putting it through their very complex machine, and outputting products and fuels and things that we basically don't need to use fossil fuels to make and it's a zero emission process. It's a really big deal and the reason I'm excited about this company is because they have the power to tackle 10% of worldwide emissions, which is a huge dent in climate change. At the same time, it's gonna be a cost competitive product and it's gonna be accessible. So someone doesn't need to you know, sacrifice their way of life to make the right choice or spend too much. It's just gonna be you know, the way things are. And we're gonna talk about what it was like building this technology. It takes a lot of years to build something like this, putting a team around it, fundraising, and ultimately his vision for you know, what this will be in the future. So listen in, I think it's gonna be a great episode. Hi, Nicholas. Good to see you, Sabrina. Very good to see you. Thank you for coming on the show and for being here today. I'm really looking forward to kind of asking all about what you're up to, what you're building, and I'm really excited for people to hear about it. Um, I guess I want to start from the beginning. You grew up in New York on a farm. That's right. My parents are veterinarians, grew up in upstate New York. What type of farm was it? There was corn on three sides and alfalfa across the street. Wow. Which is how I learned that I'm allergic to alfalfa. Oh, gosh, you have to be careful. Stay away. Yeah. Um, and do you think that, you know, growing up surrounded by land and nature has been a leading factor that has kind of, you know, helped determine your career and centered around sustainability? Or what do you think led you to? Because from the beginning of college and what you were studying, you've sort of had a focus and commitment to sustainable studies and companies. Yeah, I definitely trace it to that. Spending a lot of time outdoors, you know, it's kind of the intersection of that with science fiction that I think mm. does chart some of my path of, of being really passionate about the in, in, intersection between energy and environment. Um, wait, could you tell me a little bit more about that? So you loved sci-fi growing up? Yep, love science fiction. There's actually an old series called Tom Swift, yeah. which is about this guy who you know invents things to, to solve problems, mm. you know, and then building with Legos, and I always like big machines. Had little toy farm equipment, things like that's that. That's really cool. So the idea that you can build things to fix things and you're in control of the world that's around you and what you're creating. Building things to solve problems, yeah. That's amazing. And, okay, so I guess getting to your company today, um, formerly known as Opus 12 and currently known as 12, uh, could you tell me a bit about the story that led you to meet your two co-founders and come across this idea? What, what was the spark behind 12? Yeah, and, and you know, they each have their stories that kind of mm. lead to this intersection with environment and technology. So uh, the two of them were studying in the same chemical engineering lab. They're doing their PhDs focused on electrocatalysts for CO2 conversion. So that's really wow. the fundamental science under what we're doing. Um, but Kendra's originally from Montana, uh, grew up near Glacier, Glacier National Park, spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, and Atasha grew up in Houston um, and has actually... Uh, in a community that had some negative impacts from an oil spill. Mm. Um, and so it realized that there is a better way to be doing these things. So that led them both to uh, pursue their studies. And then I met Atasha at the Stanford Space Club mm. originally. Is uh, that when you were at business school there? That's right. Yeah, okay. I was doing a joint engineering and business degree. 
And so you guys met, did you start working together as part of a project or you just realized you had similar passions and how did, how did you guys start working together, all three of you? Yeah, so we, we did get to know each other over a few occasions, including on a Saturday. There was this uh, meetup event with folks who were interested in energy and uh, new technology development. And that's where Atasha really started to talk about the research that she and Kendra were doing. Um, and it really connected with some research that I'd done in the past as, as part of a job in consulting, mm. looking at carbon capture and storage. Um, and we did this big report on it. And, and for me, it never quite added it up because the question was, if you're capturing CO2 and then burying it underground, uh, you know, who's going to pay for that? And is, there's not really a market driver for that. Totally. So I guess you're hitting on an important point. Like people might have heard of carbon capture before. You saw this, you studied it, you worked for a company that was, you know, analyzing it and you realized that it fell short because there was no market incentive and in what else it was. Yeah. So really, I mean, carbon capture is the first step. You have to capture the carbon coming out of you know a, a factory or an emission source or out of the air. And then the question is, what do you do with it? And at, at the time we were writing this report, the only thing that people had come up with was storage. So that's where you inject it underground. Mm -hmm. um, but then you know it just stays there. So what yeah. we're doing at 12 is carbon transformation. So we, we have a better answer for what do you do with it once it's been captured. And can you break down for us what carbon transformation technology is? Yeah, so we take CO2 and using electricity and water, we break it apart into smaller atomic bits and then we recombine those components to make the building blocks for things that are all around you. So there's a lot of things today that are made from oil uh, that you might not even be aware of, like the foam in your running shoes or the foam on this microphone. This water bottle, That right? water bottle. Mm. Um, and we can make all of those things from CO2 and water instead of from fossil fuels. So that's what carbon transformation does. Wow. And how do you get the CO2? Is it just like from the free flowing air? Or is it directly out of a machine emitting it? How does that work? It could, it could be from either place. So we, uh, you know, carbon capture is the first step. And so that's that's different technology. And that can be either at an industrial source uh, or captured from the air. We partner with both types of technologies. And then carbon transformation comes in to then uh, do something useful with that CO2. Wow. There's one thing to capture it, but you're saying it's another thing to actually capture it and use it to build stuff. So it's actually like net zero or net negative emissions. When was this discovered? Yeah, well, it's a pretty recent field um, and even just a, a pretty recent idea, the, the idea that you can transform CO2. Um, the, uh, the first scientist who even realized that you could split the CO2 molecule this way was actually a team in Japan in the wow. early 1980s. Um, and they were doing the research because it was when oil prices were really high during the second energy crisis. And so they were looking for ways to make fuels and chemicals in Japan using nuclear power because they don't have any domestic petroleum resources. So they figured out you could do this, but then oil prices collapsed. And so funding from the R&D kind of died away. And so it's really only been in the last decade or so now from a climate imperative that there's been a revived interest in this field of CO2 electrolysis. And so my co-founders are really the first grad students in the U.S. to pick this back up. So wow. it's pretty cutting edge. That's amazing. So you guys, you've mastered this or you've spent years working on being able to offer this to the population. And right now, where are you at? What can you create with captured carbon? You can create metals, plastics, what can you make? Yeah, so some examples uh, of things that we have shipped to customers. Um, we've got a partnership with Procter & Gamble. Uh, we're making ingredients in Tide laundry detergent out of CO2. Uh, wow. We made the world's first car part from CO2 with Mercedes-Benz. 
Um, we launched the world's first sunglasses lenses out of CO2 a couple weeks ago. Those sold I out in 90 them. minutes. They're very cool. Yeah, they're cool. They're cool. It's with a brand called Pangaea out of the UK. Um, and they're a great brand partner for us because they, they really focused on sustainable materials. Um, and what's unique about carbon transformation is there's no trade-offs in the performance. The things that we make are molecularly identical to the things that are normally made from fossil fuels. And so there's no trade-offs in performance. I want to ask you about just the process of, of building this company. Um, there's a lot of engineering that goes behind this product. You know, it's I think there's probably startups out there that have been a little, you know, probably easier to build. This is the engineering heavy type of company. And where are you today? Could you implement it on a mass scale if Mercedes said like, hey, we want to put your machines in our factory and use it every single day? Or how is that? Where are you today with that? Yeah, so I can tell you about our, our journey and where we are today. And I, I think in addition to if there's maybe there's some people who don't want to change uh, the products that they're buying, but even those who are, there's, there's a lot of confusion around. Is mm. it better to have recycled or bio-based or, you know, is it sustainable or ecological? There's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of kind of climate don'ts out there. It's like, don't drive a car, don't do this, don't do that. So what we're trying to provide is something that has, a, a, you know, an optimism associated with it, which is more of like a climate do. You can yeah. make the choice and you can actually continue to use the products that you love, but they'll just be made in a better way. So it just, it just simplifies uh, the decision making. Very uh, cool. So that's 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 the genesis uh, in terms of what it's like to build a company like this. Yeah, you yeah. can't you can't just start this company with a laptop and a couch. Um, we needed a lot of infrastructure even to build our first prototype. So we uh, we started out. We were actually selected by the Department of Energy as part of a, a fellowship program where they picked six teams from around the U.S. who were developing new energy-related deep tech solutions. Wow. And they brought us all to Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, uh, which is about a $1 billion per year R&D budget facility uh, that's run by the U.S. government. And they have uh, amazing facilities and lab space, so we actually had access to those facilities for a period of time, um, which allowed us to start to, to build a prototype, attract additional uh, grant funding initially, like NASA was another supporter. Um, and then once we'd made additional pro progress, then we went out and did the traditional you know, seed round, then venture funding, things like that. But uh, just kind of getting it off the ground takes a lot more uh, than a software-based company, for example. There was a lot of pre-work involved, years of pre-work versus mm -hmm. just like fun, get fundraising off the bat. Mm -hmm. um, something I want to ask you about is you guys, so you said that your the beginning of your company was actually funded by the government. And something I'm curious about is, you know, as the administration switches every four or eight years and different administrations bring very different commitments to climate change, subsidies, investments, all these things, does that like, change up was that changing up your funding did that shake up your company or were, did you guys get kind of like a steady flow of support you know i'd say the the funding environment for climate tech is now much stronger than it was uh, when we started uh, not just because of administration change but i think just general public awareness of climate change um and the the kind of shortening timeline that we have to address it so on the private sector as well, I'd say there's a lot more appetite for this kind of thing. So we were able to find uh, funding sources that were aligned with what we're doing, but I'd say what really changes from administration to administration is the really large scale kind mm -hmm. of project level funding um, for, for large scale deployment. You see a lot more of that today than you did say four or five years ago. Totally. And you guys recently closed a Series A of $57 million, which is so exciting. Huge congratulations Thank to you. you. 
Um, I guess what's next for 12? Like what types of opportunities is that opening up for you? And are you growing your team? Are you building more machines? Yeah, it's and it's an exciting time to join the team. We're at this really cool inflection point. And it's also, it's, it's such an interdisciplinary team. Mm. Um, if you think about it, there's kind of like three broad categories of the types of people uh, or, or the contributions of people uh, mm. that we're looking for. So there's, there's folks who are going to help us invent. There's hope folks who are going to help us build and there's folks who are going to help us deploy. So on the invention side, those are going to be chemists or um, electrochemists. Uh, on the build side, those are going to be engineers, uh, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, chemical engineering. Um, and then on the deployment side, that's going to be people who want to you know, develop projects. It could be on the finance side, on the business development side. So we're really, we span everything from the nano scale all the way to the gigaton scale once we're uh, really converting a lot of emissions. Wow. So this is a very exciting time. And anyone listening who's, you know, looking to get into this, um, this field, you guys heard it here, 12 is looking to hire. If there's a company that, you know, hears about you and what you're doing, like how, how is the process of working with you? Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two broad categories of customers. There's brands who are using ultimately turning the materials that we enable into finished products. So that's like a Mercedes, for example. Um, and then the second category are more industrial customers. So those tend to be the suppliers to the brands. And so we work with both because the brands have an opportunity to differentiate to their own customers saying, hey, you know, here's, here's a car part or a shoe made from the air. Um, and then their suppliers have the opportunity to really reduce their emissions um, while continuing to maintain operational efficiency. So we interact with both. Uh, ultimately, we deploy our technology at the supplier site and provide the ingredients for their manufacturing process, but made from CO2 instead of from fossil fuels. Very cool. And so most of these brands, they they reach out to you. And do you have kind of some brands you're looking... I'm sure you have some things you can't tell us of like, you know, things that you're planning and brands that, that you're launching things with soon. Because I guess it's like, that's, that's the way you scale is just working with more and more producers and suppliers and... Yeah, and there's a lot of um, same customer growth opportunity. Mm. If you think about a brand like Procter & Gamble, uh, they're, they're a wonderful partner because they use so many different uh, ingredients and materials for all of their products. So by partnering with them, we're able to actually work with a lot of their suppliers. Uh, and then once we work with their suppliers, they have other customers. So that's it's a way of us really scaling throughout those supply totally. chains. Totally. I mean, when you're working with a producer, like such a big producer, you, you end up doing all types of things. Tide pods, and also um, it becomes like kind of a whole industry of care. <laughs> yeah. So the the key for us now is building our industrial sized uh, CO two conversion system. Mm -hmm. So it's a carbon transformation device. So we're building that over the next year, and that's the module that we'll be deploying at customer sites. And it's kind of like an analogy I make is it's like a, a solar farm where the farm itself is made up of a number of different panels. Um, so we're kind of like building our final sized panel. And then you can deploy as many of those as you need at a customer site to convert the amount of CO2 that's required. So this round is really about scaling our manufacturing and starting to deploy systems uh, at a larger scale than we have mm. in the past. And when you mean customer site, do you mean um, like Mercedes, for example, or Procter & Gamble? Like, would you be bringing your machines to their factories? We'd be bringing it to their suppliers. So any uh, of the materials okay. that they're using. So, you know, Mercedes doesn't make the polymers that go into their parts. Um, so we would they we connect with their suppliers to introduce our technology. Um, very cool. And you've done some amazing, really amazing partnerships so far. NASA, Mercedes, Procter & Gamble, Pangaea, really like 
you know, some of the best companies in the world. Do you have any, what would be like a dream collab for you? So what, what I really like about this is the uh, breadth of things uh, that we can do. Um, so I also like, uh, you know, surprising things. Um, mm. So doing something with, say, toys, for example, uh, would be really cool. Um, you know, I'm, I'm personally passionate about footwear would be a cool one to do just to think about, you know, walking on air. I think there's a lot to, to do with that. So those, those would be cool for us. And one that I'm excited about that uh, we're, we're about to announce is around jet fuel. So we, uh, we made the world's first jet fuel made from CO2 electrolysis, which wow. means the whole fuel is just made from CO2, water, and renewable electricity. And it works the same as normal jet fuel. It's already, it's already certified uh, for blending uh, in with normal fuel. And so that means it would have over 90% less CO2 emissions to fly. Wow. That's awesome. That's a huge impact. And how much, like, could you, could you give us a sense of, like, it's not only, you know, creating fuel that doesn't need to create extra emissions, but it's actually taking carbon out of the atmosphere. And so, like, how much carbon is that taking to, to create that flight? That's vague, but could you give us, like, people listening a sense of, you know, how much is being taken out? Mm -hmm. Well, one way to think about it is it's actually, it's the exact same amount of CO2 mm -hmm. as you're currently, as is currently emitted on that flight. Mm -hmm. We use that exact same amount because we're kind of reversing the combustion. Wow. You could think of it that way. Okay, awesome. And I, I read online that that your technology, the, the machine that's the size of a suitcase, if I understand this correctly, is equivalent to like 37,000 trees. That's right. Wow. That is so cool. So once you put that on a on a on a larger scale and you're saying these these larger machines are going to build. I mean, that's that's a really that's a big thing. Um taking kind of a step back and looking at the past 6 years, it was founded in 2015. Uh what have been some of the greatest obstacles of building this company? So for the last few years we've been in invention mode. Um, and so really going from original science all the way into a fully integrated carbon transformation device, uh, there, there's no single person who could invent this technology. So we got it going, but we've been bringing in folks from all kinds of different disciplines, uh, from nanotechnology to polymer chemistry to electrical and mechanical engineering to chemical engineering. I mean, we, we really need all of these different minds working together uh, to create something that's never been done before. So that's, that's been the, the, the big piece of our journey is actually bringing this technology to life. And now it's about scaling and continuing to deploy with these customers. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. It's, it's, you're entering a new stage mm -hmm. of like, you know, really bringing it wide scale. And um, I'm just curious, are there other companies doing similar things? Like, are, is there a lot of competition out there? So if within carbon transformation, it's not a crowded field. Uh, mm. I think sometimes people will, will ask me about companies that, you know, maybe uh, initially sound like a competitor, but they're actually complementary. So a good example with the, of that would be any companies that are really focused on carbon capture uh, or direct air capture, like Climeworks, as an example. So uh, they're actually partners, potential partners for us, because we can take the CO2 that they're capturing and then uh, make something marketable out of it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. We talked about competition, we talked about fundraising, and now I want to widen the, the lens. And when you think about, you've committed a lot of your career to sustainability and what you've studied, and but there's still a lot of people out there that really don't believe in climate change. And I'm curious, like, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Well, I think the, the I'd say that number uh, is 
changing and yes. dwindling. Um, and I think, you know, the, the information that they've been exposed to. Um, we're trying to create something, though, that you actually, uh, you know, you could be agnostic mm. um, and would still benefit from this because at large scale, we can be cost competitive with fossil fuels. And so there's really no trade-offs. Um, and so that argument doesn't need to be made uh, for, for implementing carbon transformation. And I think even if you don't believe in climate change, uh, a lot of those folks would probably agree with some of the other detrimental parts of using fossil fuels. Um, totally. And then I guess, like, I think one thing that seems like it might be a um, kind of a roadblock in eventually creating kind of a sustainable ecosystem and it's like jobs, I guess, jobs that would be lost in the fossil fuel industries. And like, do you have... Have you thought about that? You know, the, a sustainable future is going to include a lot of great manufacturing jobs, um, and we'll need all of the skill sets of the folks who are working in fossil fuels today uh, will be needed in a, a fossil-free economy. Um, so I actually think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for uh, manufacturing, chemical engineering, and all of the supporting infrastructure that currently today is dedicated to extraction and conversion of fossil fuels. That's just going to shift to extraction and conversion of CO2. Yeah, future. that's cool. That's an amazing idea. I feel like some of the people that know the most can often feel very pessimistic looking towards the future because, you know, things are declining at a, at a real rate in terms of how much CO2 is in the atmosphere. So I just want to ask you, like when people say it's too late, what do you think? It's not too late to try <laughs> and do everything that we can to preserve our Earth. You know, as more of these technologies get wide scale, hopefully it it becomes even easier and faster to fix it. And I guess looking forward, what's your dream for what 12 would look like in 10 or 20 years? Yeah, and, and, and on the first part that you said, it, it's gonna, our, one of our core beliefs at 12 is that it takes everyone. Um, there's not gonna be one silver bullet to solving climate change. It's gonna take all kinds of different technologies and deploying them all as fast as we can. So do you see it just to, I, that sounds really interesting. Do you see any other uh, technologies that are, you know, cutting edge in this space that people might not be aware of? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, there's also a lot of just underlying technologies for this clean future. So ultimately mm -hmm. the um, electric, electrical grid is going to be one of the key components. So you hear about the electrification of everything, um, you know, electric vehicles. There will even be short-haul electric planes. Uh, and then for those flights that are longer than three hours or so, you'll have electric fuel uh, like we're making. Wow. Um, but all of that's underpinned by having low-carbon electricity. So there are uh, you know, established technologies in solar and wind. There's a lot of advanced technologies uh, in, in the renewable space as well as longer-term development and nuclear fission and fusion. So I think those are going to be the underpinning of a future sustainable economy. You know, when Texas shut down in February and there was a storm and then a lot of like the renewable energy basically wasn't accessible. A lot of people say that um, it's not, it can't be counted on 100% of the time. But how, what do you think about that? Do you see a, a future in which renewable energy, like a grid based on that and dependent on that can still be secure? Yes. Um, and I think in the Texas situation, actually, a lot of the fossil fuel in infrastructure was equally affected. So mm -hmm. they weren't able to, uh, my understanding was that like the coal, for example, they couldn't move it into the power plants because it was frozen. Um, and some of the gas distribution infrastructure also failed. So it was really 
the entire electrical sector, not just the the renewables. So that wind just got the bad rap. It, 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 in that case, yeah, yeah, it did. And uh, what are your thoughts on on nuclear energy? Because I feel like it's this very controversial topic, but there are people who believe in it and just believe that there's been some, you know, like obviously historical tragedies that have now made it like hard to get funding and wide scale support. But it's an area I follow closely because there are innovative new approaches that are, are much safer. So I, I definitely keep a close eye on, on how things are developing there because that could be a, a great complement to renewable energy and storage, which is going to be the main foundation, especially for the near term. Totally. And could you create, this is just, just popped in my head, like can you eventually create, you know, parts of a solar panel or parts of a, um, a wind farm uh through your technology? Yeah, there's components of the, the, the resin that's used in wind turbine blades is something that we could make from, from CO2. So then it'd really be f full circle. Totally. Yeah, you could use renewable energy and uh, renewable materials to make those um, power generation sources. That's amazing. And so I guess just going back to the original question, like your dream about it in 10 or 20 years, it's just to, to bring it to more people? We founded this company in order to put a dent in climate change by taking CO2 and turning it into valuable products. And so if you look just at the first couple of the, the main products that we're making now, if you added up all the CO2 impact that that would have, it would be about three gigatons a year. So about 10% of global emissions uh, would be addressable by our approach. And wow. you know our goal is to, to capture a big chunk of that. So within a decade, we want to get to at least half a gigaton per year of impact, which would actually be the same emissions as Shell, but in the opposite direction. Wow, that would be amazing. Um, that's awesome. Well, I really look forward to that future, and I'm sure a lot of people do. And um, I think I think that's it. Is there anything else you want to say or end off on? But if not, I, it's been awesome getting to talk to you and hearing more about this. I really look forward to the day that you know we're all wearing, using, driving, flying products that are based off of 12's technology. Thank you. I, I like that summary. That's uh, <laughs> definitely our vision for the future is where, you know, your your whole life uh, could be made from CO2 and you wouldn't know the difference. Uh, so it's the, the products from the brands that you love um, performing the same, but with a, 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 an, an environmental footprint that you can feel good about. Definitely. And eventually, you know, it's it's cost competitive and it's accessible to everyone. So people don't have to, you know, sometimes make hard decisions or right now it can seem that sometimes making more environmentally friendly decisions is a luxury honestly um because a lot of those products are more expensive but it's it will be awesome when that's not the case yep that's the vision is is no trade-offs uh, in in any direction thank you so much nicholas thanks a lot